0: This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. And I have a special treat today. I'm here with two stories. We have Mandy and Kate. Hi, guys. Welcome.
1: Hello. Hi.
0: <laughs> How are
1: you guys? I'm good yeah it's um seven in the evening I'm in France so I'm British but I live in France so yeah just uh, just before dinner time for me over here that's awesome
2: yeah and so I'm an hour before but you know can see that you're you've got daylight going on Annie and we're yeah
0: it's
2: yeah, yeah. so yeah so good excited to
0: talk to you yeah, I'm excited too. So um, I would love to hear both of your stories and I don't know who, who kind of wants to start, but just really walking walking us back to the beginning of where it all started for you.
2: Um, shall I go first? You, you usually, I usually sort of sit here and then wait for you yeah. to start, don't I, that. So I'm gonna dive in. I'm yeah, gonna, go on. I'm gonna take the Olympic torch. Um, so I think I've been thinking about this. You know how you tell your story a few times and it kind of can really change depending on what mood you're in on the day can't it? so i actually was very organized and i've written some sort of notes of my key points obviously in quite an uh, kind of organized frame of mind today but i thought that was important um because i think what's as i've told my story a few times what's come to the surface is this sense of everything looking okay on the surface and there's a sense of me being a great pretender all the way through, and I can trace this really back to being a teenager, and having a lot of anxiety, of just feeling wrong in my own skin, and I know that's such a kind of common thing, theme for people, for sober people, and people in recovery, um, so yeah, there was a lot of anxiety, um, and there was a lot of keeping up appearances and this sort of carried on you know I was such a good girl I kind of did everything I was supposed to do I wasn't naughty I mean I did drink but not until I was 16 um and then I went to university and nothing to really write home about then Um, but underneath I was really struggling I was struggling with mental health I was struggling with anxiety um self-esteem you know, just really, really working hard. So fast forward to my twenties, I was a journalist. I trained as a teacher, then I was a journalist and moved to London. Um, and again, you know, it was like, it all looked fine. Yes, we were going out after work. We were, you know, having cocktails after work in Soho, but everyone was, it was sort of fabulous. Then going home and feeling horribly anxious. Um, and I lived in a house share as well. And this was the nineties, I don't know if you remember Friends you know, like the TV show Friends, right? So I was in a house share. It was like the whole of my life was sponsored by Blossom Hill. I just felt like, yeah, I really related to them. And I was living the Friends fantasy in my house share with my friends. Um, And then, yeah, I think that was, I knew, I kind of always had the sense that there was something not right with alcohol. And there was something, and I felt like there was something not right with me and I was sort of living a kind of a double life if you like I was quite I was fascinated with health and fitness so I did yo hot yoga I was really into my nutrition and then I'd just get absolutely slayed you know drink a bottle of wine before I went out on a Friday night and then smoke loads of fags and then I'd detox for two weeks or something and then so this kind of very like this kind of chasm I think um sort of developed with me it's interesting in kind kind of hindsight because I stopped drinking been on the sober path really about eight years now and now how I look back on it it was very different to even early sobriety and the kind of sort of awareness I think I had around myself then Um, but the key piece for me I guess was motherhood and that's where you know the book comes in that's where Mandy and I sort of crossed over in terms of a lot of our experiences where it sort of catapulted my drinking to a kind of it took a sinister turn, and it sort of, I would say it danced centre stage, um, and it was just an unholy shock, you know, I had my first child, I suddenly was a stay-at-home mom. you know, it's like the old story goes, you have, if I had a penny for every mom I spoke to, we went, yeah. yep, the rite of passage, the identity shift, no time for ourselves, we dropped to one income, so there was that, I had great expectations, very tight finances for a bit, you know, all of this, and I couldn't, get to hot yoga I couldn't even pretend to be my good self and my healthy Kate it was like I couldn't even get there and I just remember you know especially moving after I moved to the suburbs after my second child just sitting on the patio and it was like I'm just sitting here with a bottle of wine on my own my husband's at work late at night and I just don't even kind of know who I am and this is not cutting it, it's like it's just not even fun. Um, and then horrendous hangovers and the rest of it. So I had Googled a lot lot of times. Am I an alcoholic? Um I had got gone to it, I tried an AA meeting, but I just hated every it with every fibre of my body because it felt Like I had too much sort of shame and I had too much anxiety anyway. I had some religious stuff in the background, which I just couldn't go anywhere near it. So um, on this particular evening in 2013, I Googled am I an alcoholic at 3am and I found Soberistas website and I've never blogged. So I sent up a little flare. I thought, okay, what do I do? Do a profile. And I wrote a blog for the first time. And it just said, I'm a mom. Um, don't think I can do this um I've never lost a driving license I've never no one really knows but it feels dreadful to me and I don't know what to do and I don't even think I can stop But I'm just blogging anyway and then in the morning I woke up and there were eight responses from women just saying we get you like totally your story resonates with me don't worry just you know stay in touch." Um, try this, read this, you know, and it was like I've, I literally, it was like I breathed in and breathed out. It was like, okay, I, I'm okay, I'm I'm home, I'm safe. There's this there's, there's some people, you know, um and I hadn't realised how important that was. I think through getting to know Mandy, I understand the community piece so much now. Um, yeah, and so that was when my sober journey began and a, a slow putting together. I'll let my hands over to Mansing because I've just gone on now. Um, but a slow putting together of the toolkit and a big factor for me was self compassion, uh, learning to love myself, self care, you know, all of those bits. Um, but in the first instance, and where your book came in was the mindset shift. Like I had a real, okay, I've got to have the mindset. Um, and then slowly I, I managed to add to that um so yeah so here we are
0: today so that's me oh that's awesome how wonderful
1: yeah so for me um i guess i was very much kind of hedonist in the 90s i was i'm a bit younger than kate so um yeah it was it was very much kind of that generation that were bored of of what was going on and just wanted to rebel i guess like kind of lots of family relationships were breaking down, you know, not mine, my family was actually one of the only ones that was kind of functioning, but around me there was quite a lot of chaos and so you know there was a lot of festivals and and music and it was very much that kind of hedonistic sort of, you know, live for the weekend. Um, So I'd say from the beginning quite heavy kind of drinking and partying, you know, there wasn't any sort of slow entry into it Um, and I suppose for me you know I became a mum when I was 26 and it was kind of like one of my avenues out of of the behaviour that I was in you know I was kind of sick of the you know that that party lifestyle I didn't want to be in my 30s and still being you know doing those things but I didn't sort of see any way to change um and so you know I became a mom and we moved to France and um and I was isolated and you know had two kids in quick succession um and that's I think when that kind of um disconnect of my kind of relationship with self really started it was like I knew that I wanted to be a good mom and I knew that that was my core value, but then I was displaying behaviour that didn't show that. And you know, and the only way that I knew how to get recognition for who I was was being that party girl and being that that person. Um, and so I went back to work, um, and again I was succeeding. You know, I, I was working as a professor in a university, so I had lots of young people around me. So it was very easy for me to carry on that kind of persona of being that. Cool young teacher, um, getting lots of recognition from then, but that kind of disconnect of motherhood kind of growing even more. So I'd be, you know, doing my day job, going to the bar with the students, then running home, getting the kids, and then feeling completely depleted. And then you know, and then waking up at four a.m. and going, I'm never going to do this again. And then kind of continuing and not being able to kind of break that. Um, and so I you know I, and that went on for a couple of years I think that it kind of got worse and worse and was spiraling um and I ended up in burnout like I just I didn't know what was going on I was so lost um and so I went to see my doctor and I got put on antidepressants and sort of started therapy and we started looking at quite a lot of the things that was going on and at that point I identified that alcohol was not helping me so um Again, I sort of Googled in the middle of the night and I found soberistas, and I started blogging as well. Um, and that was back in 2000 and the end of 2012, 2013. And so I did a year, uh, Kate did a year as well. So that's part of our story that we share. It's like, I did a year and then was like, oh, I'm better, <laughs> my mental health's better. I feel good, you know, but it was really that kind of identity. And it was so quick you know, a friend of mine said to me, oh, I, you know, I seem to be able to moderate the weekends. And I was just like, Oh yeah, me too. You know, of course I can do that, and it was just so bizarre how focused and in in it I'd been, and then all of a sudden it was just gone, and it was like, of course I'm a drinker. I'm a drinker. That's who I am. You know, my husband's French. We have a wine cellar. Like, what? Of course I've got to keep alcohol in my life. Like it's, you know, it's vital for me to be a, you know, happy as a human being to have alcohol in my life. Um, and so then I went back and forth for about two and a half years. So I, do, I drink for about three months, and then I get really, really tired. And, you know, my mental health would start suffering. And I'd say to my husband, wasn't I happier when I didn't drink at all? And he'd say yes. And I go la 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 la. And then I'd carry on for a bit longer. Um, and then, so I was really exhausted. And for me, and Kate, we've talked about this a lot. And this sort of defines, I think, quite a lot of these people that are in this gray area of drinking. It's like, when there's rules, it's okay. So the working week, you can kind of manage things, you know, but then Christmas or holidays or those times where kind of things change, then alcohol takes a real sort of center stage. And so I've been on holiday for three weeks with my husband and my kids. And so we had been doing, you know, continental holiday. We've been in Spain, Portugal, and France. So we've been having, you know, wine at lunchtime, wine in the evening. And I wasn't sleeping. I was absolutely exhausted. Um, and my son, we were playing in a, in 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 Spain. It's the last week of our holiday, and my it, kids were playing in the, next to the pool. And it was the first time that I'd ever let them go in the pool without an adult. And so we sat just on the on the side. And, um, and my son jumped in the pool and he hit his head. He's fine. I always have to sort of preempt. He's right he, but he hit his head on the metal bar across the sort of the, the pool. So he flipped back it was terribly, you know, dramatic. And I was sat there at the table and I was just about to have a glass of wine. And it was just this moment, this whole thing of just like, mm-hmm. hang on a sec. Too close, you know, cause it was always that game of chance. Um, and so that night, I, I kind of again went back to soberistas because that had always been my place. But because I'd been back and forth so many times, I kind of felt like I I couldn't go back again. Um, and your book was um, the a free download. There was an excerpt of the of the book on the on the site, so I started reading that at three in the morning. Um, and then you had a I think at that time you had a free kind of it was like a, a four day or five day course. And so I got up in the morning and I can remember we were driving around this sort of place in Spain and just chewing my husband's ear off, just like, and then the unconscious thinking and the liminal thinking, and then blah, 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 blah. And it was just, it's that mindset shift again that Kate said. It was like, it's incredible how you can drop it, but then how you can pick it up again. And it was such a relief because I'd been back and forth so many times. And then all of a sudden I was just like, okay, I get it. Like, there there is no place for this like whatever happens I just don't care like my life my kids me my mental health all of this like it's all bs basically and I'm not interested anymore and I'm gonna put myself first and and that was that was it and that was the last day one and so that's like three years ago in Kate's just over four years so even though it's been like eight years on the journey it took a bit of time but yeah so I really really thank you because you were the the last final kind of piece and I suppose after that it was then getting community as Kate said and just you know I started an Instagram account I started making friends all around the world um you know and it's that that piece those things together knowing that I could challenge my own beliefs about it um, and then making friends uh, were the two kind of key things for me and there we go and then we met and we started working together so that's the next kind of part of the story so how did you guys meet so well on um because I've been going backwards and forwards I was like oh, I don't know who any of these people are you know the it had grown and I remember Kate's little icon it was like a hello kitty yeah and um and so I remembered she wrote really well and so I basically just started stalking her and I was like hello I like your you know she had this picture of her with a sparkly hat on oh yeah and I was like hello I like your hat um And then I'd been listening to podcasts and that was really part of my kind of mental health journey. I started listening to Gretchen Rubin, um, her Happier podcast. And that was the first one that kind of gave me practical tools of like make your bed in the morning and it can have an impact directly on your happiness. And I was like, wow, this is amazing and then I was listening to the bubble hour and listening to you and listening to um, home and then I was like I think there's space for a British one you know because our experiences were alcohol so kind of particular you know it is very cultural and pub culture and and just so I was like so I just sent her a message I was like I'm thinking about doing a podcast would you like to do it with me and Kate was you know training to be a coach at the time and so we got chatting and then we actually realized that we knew people in common we used to live around the corner from each other but we didn't know each other we, you know we probably drank in the same pub um, and so yeah and then I started training as a coach and we decided to kind of bring our two kind of units together i guess kate was very much from the self-care point of view and mine was very much from the mental health point of view and that kind of combination is what we talk about on the podcast and then you know um, and then the book Mm -hmm. oh that's
0: awesome congratulations you guys on the book and everything i mean really cool so um i love these stories so having you know now been on the other side and really having like helped and coached women what are the main questions that that you get what are the the themes that keep coming up
2: yeah I think there's there's a few things because we are very interested in that We, we just work with women so we are very interested in that kind of gendered piece and there's a lot about the female experience trauma rites of passage that kind of intersect that sort of you know the pale male and posh kind of centric thing one removed from that that this kind of fractured it sounds really deep and weird i think but a a fractured self Mm. there's a sense of i'm not quite sitting in my own authority my own agency my own power and i'm looking in from the outside often with women um and so that that kind of you know I always say well we always say that the self-care piece really gritty radical self-care like boundaries like saying no like really listening in and saying what do I need like stop fobbing me off with a glass of wine at the end of the day or a bottle of wine I need you know then maybe there's something political to be done I need affordable childcare. like we need some kind of affordable housing in the UK where you don't have to both work all the hours God sends, and then are, are frazzled, you know, there's some, there's some sort of political conversations to be had. Um, uh, all of the impact, I think it's that impact of, of life in our cultures and the pressure on women, just ragged, you know, that perfectionist piece, that, that having these enormous expectations on themselves, and then they they come to us and just go I'm absolutely bloody exhausted like I am ragged I'm exhausted and I can't do it all you know I can't do it all and part of the bottle of wine was trying to do it all and be it all I I think that's a big big sense of some of the questions that come to us
1: yeah I think it's also that that so much has you know the the kind of rise of mummy wine culture on social media and it's been so intrinsically linked with connection and and community and you know yeah. and coping with motherhood so it's really hard to untangle for that for women it's like but who who are my friends going to be and, and how can I cope um you know without that and how do I relax and and what's my treat I mean a huge thing like you know it's like but how do I, it's, it's, it's my wine. You know, Mm -hmm. you have clients, it's my wine. It's very possessive. It's very much like a relationship. It feels extremely important and extremely precious because it feels like for a lot of women, they're spending all their time caring for other people's needs and they just are not looking after themselves and they don't feel like they have permission to, Um, you know, and you can see that lighting up with, with people when it's like, Why don't you go and have a bath in the middle of the day? Oh, I couldn't possibly like it's like (laughs) radical you know and it's like go on oh you know that's good I know it's crazy but it's just having that moment and that permission to go actually I'm just going to do something for me and me taking that break in the morning is actually just going to allow me to have enough energy to get through wine o'clock and get through bedtime because it's kind of that fuel that women are using just to kind of as Kate said just to push themselves through Mm -hmm. um And there's, there's so many other ways that they can look after themselves. But I do think there's a lot of, it's, it's allowing us just to be enough, and not have to be perfect. And I think women carry so much shame from the beginning of their lives, you know, that they're not pretty enough, or, you know, my teeth aren't straight enough, um, you know, all these things. And so I think it, it, what's really helpful is just that that sort of piece of community and also just Mm. going you know what it's 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 okay to like and interestingly like women say sorry but uh, you know women say quite often it's like when I'm at least when I'm hungover I get to stay in bed Mm. like how sort of sad but how much Mm. of a reality is that it's like that's the only time that I actually get to stay Mm. in bed and watch tv and it's like wow okay you know it's it's at that point it's not only that part of kind of the evening and and the relax but it's also the recovery time which allows them to rest so it's like yeah kind of you can do that anyway you can stay in bed in your pjs you know and 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 watch movies and you don't need to be hung over to sort of do that at the same time
2: it's like that that cigarette breaks used to be viewed at work it was like it's fine if you go out for well when we you know when that was a thing everyone was allowed to go out for a fag break but you couldn't just go stare into space. If you stare, stared in space for five minutes, they'd get you to HR and occupational health, wouldn't they? Um, and there's that, that, the community piece as well. I think that is so key, um, again, for that connection with that sort of the sisterhood, you know, working out that shame, dying insight when stories is told in safe spaces. and. I know I've personally just reminded me of when, when we met Mandan. I'd, I'd started the blog, hadn't I? And I'd been to see um, a poet, a spoken word artist called Kate Tempest. And she, in Brighton, it was one of these rare nights out with my husband. And I was really moved by her. Um, and it was about telling stories. It was about she had, you know, lots of it diverse poets telling their stories so as an aboriginal guy from um from australia who had grown grown up you know in the in the townships kind of thing um and telling beautiful stories and it reminded me of on sober forums like people being able to tell their stories but there was a bit of a thing at that time where people were there was almost like an old guard that were like no you're an alcoholic no you've got to use the received wisdoms of it and then there was a kind of a new voice coming through and i felt very passionately that people need to be able to tell their stories and own their truth and find their own way and but that's kind of scary as well because it means sort of deconstructing things um so i think it's that that sort of healing kind of space with other people to tell your truth and to have those nods, you know, and that gradually, gradually you feel more confident in telling your story and owning your truth, you know.
0: Yeah, I actually got a question um, yesterday that kind of dovetails into what we're talking about, but the question was, I love drinking because of its forbidden nature, so she would drink in secret. And she's like, how can I, you know, I've been able to not drink anywhere else, but in secret, but it's something about the secrecy of it. And, you know, in talking to her, I was like, I really believe that what you're doing is just trying to exert control over some area of your life and trying to feel empowered. And so the secrecy allows you to be like, okay, this right now, this is just for me. And this is where I am just with me doing exactly what I want to do. And alcohol has gotten tied up in that. And somehow even permissional in the sense of like, okay, well, if, if you're drinking, like you said, if you can be in bed when you're hungover, that's fine. But if you just wanted to be in bed anyway, or you can go outside for a cigarette, that's fine. But if you just wanted to step outside anyway, it's not fine. And so it's like, we've, we've grasped onto it in a way to just take some literal control over one part of our lives and say, I'm going to do this exert control. And I'm going to do it just for me, just because I want to do it. Not because I'm being pulled in a million directions by what my partner wants or what my family wants, or, you know, what my boss wants. It's just like, I'm going to do this just for me. And it it allows us this level of just, okay, this I own. Mm. Um, But it can be really empowering when you see it, because then you could say on the other side, oh, this I own, this journey Mm. through becoming alcohol-free. I own this too. And all the things that go into that. And I can actually value these things like taking a bath during the middle of the day. I love that example, or, you know, just going for a walk during the middle of the day. That's something that took me a long time to just give myself permission to do. Um, you can actually say, okay, I own these things and I can create this Mm -hmm. space and, you know, give it by recognizing that the core of it is just trying to exert this level of control and, ownership of our own lives then we can find other ways to do that
2: yeah and I really I really relate to that and that um that, uh, one thing that we we've said recently to to some some people that we work with is that you know it because it sort of gets caught up in like bindweed around around things and all of the associations and all of the emotions and all the rest of it it's like if you that that thing about if you keep it separate right alcohol has nothing to do with anything if you keep the core cool, like you said and if you keep the sense of it the sort of texture of it what is it what is it and there's something forbidden well maybe you want to do those forbidden things and maybe you want to get some kink corn I don't know it could be whatever but there could be a flavor of that it has nothing to do with alcohol and it never did it's only because you start drinking that it's all become wound up you
1: yeah know? and I think that's you know yeah. and I remember sort of again that, that idea of when you start to challenge it and you start to go well so, you know that society is a, is giving me permission to use a substance that is harmful to me and mm. that's something that I that I'm allowed to do but me having a bath in the middle of the day is seen <laughs> as you know antisocial <laughs> behavior or you know or me sort of I'm not going to mention deviant <laughs> yeah, yeah it's deviant yeah. behavior or it, it's it's yeah or it's frivolous or it's or it's selfish or you know um, and then when you can start to add those elements of like well what is the sort of external messaging and who's who's controlling that you know is that me is am I really sort of making this decision that this my secret habit with wine is my choice or actually is it is has that come from somewhere else and actually what would I really like to do um, and I, and I love that. I love it when, you know, that challenging the kind of the norm and, and, and being able to feed that back and go, well, actually, what, what do I really actually want here? And it's, yeah, as you said, it's not never about the wine. It's about a moment. It's about a feeling. A it's about Yeah, story. Yeah, I could tell you a lot of stories about tea, but I won't go. <laughs> that's a British thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: that's. It's also true. So um, what would you say is like, you know, some of the main pieces of advice you give to people specifically when they're sort of dealing with the social pressure of their, whether it's their group of moms who are still drinking or at work, or how do you help them navigate that?
1: Um, Well, I think there's a part of the kind of um, allowing yourself to, I never thought I'd say this in a million years, but just to grow, old gracefully, like, there's something really beautiful about when you can just go, you know what, like, that was fine, like, I really enjoyed that when I was in my 20s, but it just actually doesn't suit me now, and I don't enjoy it, and and I want to, you know, we we move forward, we don't move backwards, so it's like, well, what do I want it to look like, and where do I want to go, and so, you know, what do you, what other things can you do with your friends that sort of represent where you are now like is it going for going swimming together or going for a nice walk or having coffee or you know enjoying I don't know going to a cooking school or doing something else but just sort of changing the dynamic so it's not sort of centered on alcohol Um, and I guess there are some friends that just are not going to follow you you know and I certainly have I don't think you can ever run out with of people to make friends with and that was a real good thing that I learned you know it's like I mean you have an amazing community like there's there's so many ways now that people can meet people and that just you know you're always going to find your fit somewhere and you don't have to settle with the people that just because you've known them for a long time they might just not be part of your your 40s or your 50s and that's fine too you know and um yeah so it's just kind of like keep reaching out um and sort of follow your heart and your soul and what's nourishing for you I guess would be my advice I don't
2: know I think that piece of um I think knowledge is power I'll add to this because I think that once we understand how alcohol is marketed That it's marketed on those key fears. If you can't connect without me, you can't celebrate without me. And for women, you can't cope without me. I think once you start being a bit of a detective, you can really start unpicking it. So I think that's the first thing is like, okay, well, what, where do we receive these messages from? And I think the fact that we're socially wired, you know, we are pro-social animals. To acknowledge that and say it's fine. Fine, and it's fine to be scared of that but it's going to be okay but it's about who do, in the first instance who do you go to for support it's like who do you, you know we have a traffic light system, so you know who are your green people the green people nearest and dearest one or two people you tell right then you might have some kind of shifts plate tectonic shifts underneath the surface with some of your you know people that are in your community but they you might not they might not be your people so maybe they're going to drift away but it's going to be okay and then you've got you know the flashing amber people which i think as we go along we get much better at dealing with those people but in the early days put them in the red camp You know, they don't need your story they don't need to know anything and then go find your sober community you know can you hear me all right You're, yeah so you know go find your sober community whatever that is that you vibe with you know so those would be mine and to you know when you're you're a drinker you well, i know i'll speak for myself It was about the quick fix and i see this quite a lot in our community and the people we talk to is that um you know we want instant fixes and there's something really lovely about like what mandy said about if we slow down and, and take comfort in that it might just take a bit of time and the fear, just because it's a fear, it doesn't need to be a fact. And you know what, we're, we're all going to be okay. So I think it's a bit of hand-holding, you know, hand-holding for that first bit until they find their people.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I love the the idea um, that Mandy said, of like you just, there's never a shortage of people to become friends with. We do feel so, you know, clingy, but that's so true. And some of the most beautiful friends actually happen in new phases of your life. And I remember... I was having a really hard time with a friendship that was, I mean, it basically, since I can't remember meeting this girl, we we went to preschool together. And, you know, in my late thirties, we really had drifted apart and um, just couldn't even really relate anymore. And, and ultimately like the friendship just kind of di- disintegrated. And I was really upset about it. And I remember another friend of mine saying, you know friendships aren't meant to be forever. And I was like, really? <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, really. I was like, oh my gosh. And it was so, it's like kind of a sad thought, but it was such a freeing thought and such an empowering thought, like, oh, wait a second. I can actually grow into new friendships. Like I'm growing and changing and, and they are too. And it doesn't have to be forever. I don't have to keep fitting into a box that doesn't feel good anymore or does, you know, feels too tight and uncomfortable. So I thought that was really, really freeing. And yeah like and it's, it's sort also, of
2: compassionate it, isn't it it's yeah like sort of self-compassion and it's very compassionate for the people that we can be a bit more open-handed it's like we can let the ebb and the flow and the process of things that are sort of slightly bigger than us take place as well without having time to hold on so tight with
1: yeah I, I mean something that really helped me was that kind of you know you you have your family of origin but you have your family of choice and that's so incredibly empowering as an adult it's like I'm an adult now like I get to choose you know and like how fabulous is that like I get to sort of put in boundaries of how much people impact on on my life and certainly I had a lot of kind of toxic friendships so just around alcohol and when you know when when that wasn't part of it it was like well you know don't come and spoil our fun and it was painful as hell at the time but it's not about them and it's not about me it's just about we're just on different cycles and you know and I've I think you find with a lot of people that kind of struggle with alcohol they are quite deep thinkers and they're maybe a little bit introverted or probably quite sensitive and so then when you start to sort of develop friendships within sober communities you're like oh you're like me you know straight to the point like two seconds (laughs) in talking about you know the deepest darkest secrets and and so you know it is it's just sort of finding within the cracks of all all the noise just finding those people that you you connect with and that's been the greatest gift of sobriety is is meeting people that I I know like Mm. me really for me and without any kind of expectation or any of me having to change it's just like whatever's going on they just see me as I am and that's unbelievably freeing and and nice you know <laughs> in comparison trying mm-hmm. to pick, fit yourself in a box all the time and just pretend exhausting
0: exhausting mm. yeah, yeah absolutely. I love that so much so if people want to learn more they can find you both at lovesober.com that
2: yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's the easiest way to find us. We've got community. We've just published our book, uh Love Yourself Sober, a self-care guide to alcohol free living for busy mums, mothers. Um and what else have we got? There oh, we got courses. We run courses. And the podcast, yeah, which
0: is free. And and the, pod, and the pod. Yeah. And the pod. That's the source. Yeah. It all began at the podcast. So let me ask um you guys the The question that I always ask uh, at the end of these podcasts is, you know, if you were going to go back in time, sort of have a chat with Mandy and have a chat with Kate about what life is like now and um, encourage them, what would you say?
1: I think I would say that like, I know you don't believe it now, but one day you'll like your reflection and you'll like who you see so just yeah just you know keep trying because it took some (laughs) attempts Mm. so that was something I never expected to get to a point where I liked myself you know Um,
2: for me it's interesting because I was actually thinking about this yesterday I went for a walk with the dog in the fields and it was very misty and I got lit up. I got really lit up by the mist on the field and the damp and the sensory stuff. And I cried, I had a moment of sort of gratitude. And I I was just all over the place because I just thought I am, um, I didn't know that I was going to be okay. Like I had no idea. So if I were to go back to that, you know, that teenage me. It would be something about i know again i know you're never going to believe this you're actually you're going to be happy in your own skin you're going to feel connected with yourself and you're going to love your life and it's going to be okay sweetheart
0: i love that so good that's amazing um well thank you guys so much for coming on it's been such a joy getting to know you both and hear
1: your yeah well thank you thank you for everything you've done for yeah us. being
0: part of our
2: you know big part of the sober journey our sober stories and the yeah you no know, trailblazer. thank you so happy that's wonderful
0: let me ask you a question what is better than change lasting change of course and if you've had trouble making change stick either with alcohol or in any other area of your life you are in for a treat I created the 100 Days of Lasting Change to ensure that we don't just change for a moment, but we truly transform for a lifetime. And this program is so close to my heart. Thousands of people have been through it and their results are incredible. But don't take my word for it. Check it out at thisnakedmind.com forward slash 100 days.